0: Our scripture today is a familiar one to most of us. I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. You probably, if you've memorized it, have memorized the King James Version. You might have looked at NIV or ASV over the years, but the content is the same even if the words are slightly different than what you are accustomed to. Hear these words of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of God For the people of God, thanks be to God. We're going to do something a little different today. I want to share with you a very simple Bible study technique that is really anything but simple. It will allow you to take pretty much any text, and the reason I've chosen to do this with this text is, number one, it's well known. You have the content already in your mind, if for no other reason than you've encountered it any number of times. Uh, Number two, because you already know it, there are some images that you can see very, very quickly. And so today, we are going to do kind of a Bible study live experience where I'll show you my favorite Bible study method. For those of you who um, who are nerds like me, it is known as inductive Bible study. Inductive Bible study means you look at what's there. You don't Impose your own values onto the text. You look at the text itself. You see what is there. You ask what the author was intending to communicate, and then you say, "Well, based on what the author was intending to communicate, was it mean for me?" Inductive Bible study. If you want to uh, spend a little time on this in Sunday school or something, I'm happy to to come to a Sunday school class and walk you through uh, the book of Jonah, the book of Ruth are good ways that we can look at inductive Bible study. But as we begin today, I invite you to pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that over centuries, you have preserved your relationship with men and women, young and old, and you have presented it to us as sacred scripture. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts now be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you alone, O Lord, are our rock, our redeemer, and in your mighty name we pray. Amen. So, looking at this text, or any text, we can ask three different questions with respect to the text itself. Number one, what's in the text? What does it say? Number two, why did the writer want to communicate what is communicated in the text? And then finally, the third question is, what does it mean for me? Another way you can say this, what's in the text? Define what the text says. Why did the writer say this? Rationally speaking, what is the purpose behind it? What are the implications for me as a believer? What are the implications for me in the 21st century of this text that was written in the 10th century BC? We've got 3,000 years between this text and between me. Now often, when we pick up the Bible, this is what we want. We want to just be blown away by truth. I loved it one time when one of the kid's friends asked me a question and I went on and on and on. And one of the kids said, You just dropped some knowledge on him. <laughs> that's what we want with God. You know, we want to we want to say a little prayer. We want to we want God to drop some knowledge on us and, and that's that when really, in fact, we're called to this lifetime of study, this lifetime of preparation, this this ongoing commitment to listening to what God is saying. So instead of the, the dropping some knowledge on somebody, it's it's more like looking for treasure it's more like examining closely a gem something golden i wish i were in the united kingdom and could look at all of the uh, all the stuff they're bringing out for the coronation the ivory scepter the golden crown that has to be fit for king charles's head it would be interesting to look at how all of this happens and and what the symbolism is on this. I was at a church the other day and I, I was I was looking at the paraments on the on the church and in, in the on the paraments there was the symbol of the Trinity. But in the background, almost imperceptible, was Jesus the Lamb. Almost imperceptible was iota, eta, sigma, Jesus. Almost imperceptibly. There was the vine. The more I looked, the more I saw. And that's how it is with Bible study, with the Scriptures. We see in the Gospels, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This loving God with our minds means we put thought into it. It means we look and we listen, and we pay attention to what we see, and we look to find something that we hadn't seen before. I can't tell you how many times I have read through the Bible in my adult life. I'm working on it again for 2023, and I'm, I'm in the book of Judges. I'm already behind. It's only in April, and I'm already behind. I'll catch up by June. But I'm seeing things in in the book of Joshua and Judges that I'd never seen before. The Bible is this inexhaustible well of truth, of information, of knowledge, of spiritual reality. You shall love God with your mind. Proverbs says it this way, My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom... Tune your ear to listen to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. We can be hard-hearted, or our hearts can actually be shaped by the word. If you cry out for insight, God, give me insight into your ways. If you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it, as you search for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And you will find knowledge of God. So, to begin with, number one, what is in the text? Now, depending on the size of the block of material that you are looking at, you, you can divide it up into different sections now if I were studying the book of Jonah for instance I would divide that it has four chapters into four sections I would name each chapter if I were studying the gospel of Matthew I first of all start off looking at each chapter but then I would block them into to larger blocks so depending on the size of the passage you're studying you can produce a summary of verses or paragraphs or chapters Whatever it is that works well with the size of the blocks that you're looking at. So right now, we're looking at the 23rd Psalm. This is a psalm that has six verses. So the natural way to divide this is to look at the verses. Now, when when I was first a student of inductive Bible study, they said, summarize each section in two words or less. Basically, one or two words. I finally decided that was not workable for me. So I am summarizing as as I do inductive Bible study, I summarise in four words or less. So the first verse The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I would summarize in four words. The Lord, my shepherd. Moving on to the second verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Again, it's a very, very simple. Green waters, or green pastures, not green waters. (laughs) That would be stagnant and nasty. (laughs) Green pastures, still waters. So what happens is, once you have summarized each block of material in, in a short way, you can actually read through the Gospel of Mark, the book of Job, you can read through the Epistle to the Romans, or you can read through Psalm 23 in, in just a moment. The Lord my shepherd, green pastures, still waters, restores, leads on paths. Fearless, because he's with me. Table prepared, head anointed, goodness And mercy, God's house. So right there, you can look and you can see all of the movements in the text in a very quick way. And if you look at your Bible, most of the time, there will be something on top of Psalm 23 that says, the Lord is a shepherd. Or the Lord, the good shepherd. But if you pay attention here, that's not really a title that summarizes the whole thing. Because as you look here at these six verses, you will notice that the Lord is a shepherd down to verse 4, and then the image changes at verse 5 and carries through to verse 6. And so we see two different blocks in those six verses. One, the Lord as shepherd. Two, the Lord as host who sets a table, who invites you in, who brings worshipers oil to anoint the head and this bottomless cup that overflows. So what we've done here is we've we've taken... Just the first, the, the six verses of Psalm 23, and we've, we've blocked them into two different parts. The Lord is shepherd, the Lord is host, and now we can ask the question, what is in the text? What are the qualities of a shepherd, the qualities of a host, that the writer draws attention to? These are important. So we can see, for example, in the first four verses, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's a lot of want in the world. But verse 1 says that because God is leading, we have what we need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. When you think about pastures and waters, you think about this idyllic kind of scene where there is peace, there is calmness, there is refreshment when it is needed, there is nourishment when it is needed. After all, the sheep would drink the water. The sheep would... Graze in the green pastures but there is this stillness and there is this beauty and this protective nature of the sheep by the shepherd. He restores my soul. I went to Israel last summer. I won't ever go to Israel in the summer again wanted to get into the Dead Sea, and I took off my shoes, and I put them back on. Well, let me go over to the concrete. It'll be cooler. I took off my shoes, and I put them back on. Let me go over to the sand. It'll be cooler. I took off my shoes. I put them back on. It was too hot to do anything, and you better believe when I got back up to the little restaurant there. I was ready for refreshment. He restores my soul. When my soul is tired, when my soul has had enough, when things have been difficult, he restores my soul, and then he leads me in right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will not fear. For God is with me. And here's the shepherd imagery again. His rod, his staff. They comfort me. So, the Lord as shepherd, we have this image of a shepherd with sheep. We have this image of the shepherd caring for the sheep. Meeting the sheep's basic needs. Leading. Where the sheep would go astray, as long as there's a shepherd, the sheep paying attention to the shepherd are led in right paths. And even in the most dangerous of circumstances, the shepherd cares for the sheep. Now let's turn to the second part of this where where God is the gracious host. God prepares a table. You don't prepare a table for your enemies. You prepare a table for your friends. I had a friend one time who looked for a job for two years. Finally, he got that job, and Melinda and I got out the fine china. I don't think people do fine china anymore. I think we've eaten on our fine china five times or less in the last 29 years. It's because if you look at it hard, it falls apart. <clears throat> but we got it out. We, we got cloth napkins. We made it look beautiful. And then we celebrated. We prepared a table. But God doesn't just prepare a table in this image, God prepares a table for you in the presence of those who don't even like you. The head is anointed. Like a good host, the cup overflows like that cup of coffee at Cracker Barrel or at the Red Rooster that keeps on getting refilled and refilled and refilled. You don't get to the bottom of it. This is what the cup is like at this host's table. Surely, because of this, goodness and mercy will be with me all the days of my life. I will dwell in this house of the Lord. Who welcomes me forever. So, number one, what did he say? He said, God is a shepherd who cares for us in these ways. God is a host who cares for us in these ways. Why did the writer say this? Why does the text describe God as it does? Why does the writer use these two images of a shepherd and of a host to talk about this? I don't know if you noticed this. You you read closely. The writer speaks both to God directly, you prepare a table. And he speaks indirectly of God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. God as he is testimony. I was weak, but he gave me strength. I was lost, but he found me. This is, in the community, me telling you, this writer telling everybody else what God has done for him. But it's also a prayer. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You are with me. There's this interchange between testimony and prayer. Why would the writer put this interchange between testimony and prayer? Maybe it's because in the church, in the body of Christ, there is this reality that it's about both. We pray and we we tell God, how grateful we are for what God has done for us and is doing for us and it's also we tell others how grateful we are that God has done what he has done for us they talk about God's nature to those who will listen so we've looked briefly at what's in the text and maybe why the writer shared what he shared and and, and very quickly the third piece is what does this mean for me as a man in the twenty first century, what does this mean for you as someone in the twenty first century? So having looked at what it says and how why the writer chooses to say these things, what do they say to us? They say to us that we are not sheep without a shepherd when you think, I have no idea where to go or what to do with my life, then you'd better get down on your knees. Because you are not a sheep without a shepherd. God gives us the resources that we need. Daily bread, living water, restoration, forgiveness. God gives us these things so that your life and my life might bring glory to his name. Now pay attention for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Not for us. For us alone. Anybody who thinks that the gospel means that we will always get what we want and that we'll have charmed lives and there will never be any sickness or disease or heart attacks for us or for our immediate family and everyone we love has not read the Bible and has not looked around at the world. We may well go through a dark valley. In fact, we may well go through the valley of the shadow of death, but we won't go through that valley alone. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And God's not ashamed to acknowledge me, God's not ashamed to acknowledge you. Not everybody likes us. Not everybody likes you. Not everybody likes me. But God is not ashamed to say, this is my kid. This is my child. This is one who has come to me. I'm not finished with him yet. God may even say, he irritates me sometimes as much as he irritates you. But God's not ashamed to acknowledge that we are a part of his family, to show us hospitality, even in the presence of our enemies. God prepares a table. And in Psalm 23, this table is a table that the writer is invited to. We are invited to a table today. And God's goodness and mercy will follow us throughout life doesn't mean we won't pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Doesn't mean that we won't have high cholesterol, gout. I had the worst gout attack yesterday that I have ever had. All that pork last week. Sausage, pork chops, pork roast. Oh, the bacon on the cheeseburger was amazing. Doesn't mean there won't be a valley. Doesn't mean there won't even be a valley of the shadow of death. But even in that valley, the one who intends goodness and mercy toward us will accompany us.